Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 1. While you're standing, let's read the word of the Lord. I will get into the message today. Amen. I'm excited about what I feel like the Lord is able to do and accomplish in this place today. Really feel his presence in such a mighty, strong way. Deuteronomy 34.1, Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. The Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the south, and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will give it to your descendants. I will give it to your people. It's going to be yours. Moses was part of that. Then the Lord said something to Moses that I'm sure brought great disappointment. He said, I've caused you to see it with your eyes, but you, you shall not cross over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord, just like the Lord said. Allowed you to see it, but you're not going to get to live there. I've allowed you to look upon it with your physical eyes, but you're never going to sit down to a meal with your family there. You're never going to walk into that place that has been promised to so many for so long. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over. He dies in Moab according to the word of the Lord, and the Bible says they buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. So we know that we don't know where Moses was buried, but we do know that he was not buried in the promised land. I just want to preach to you today uh, a message. It's not really a warning. It's just food for thought. Because I, I know and I understand in the stressful times that we're living in that sometimes living for God is difficult. And I've been doing this long enough to watch people that I never thought would walk away, walk away. People I never thought would give up I've seen them give up. I just want to preach to you buried on the border. Buried on the border. Moses is there. He can see it, but he does not get to experience it. Don't allow anything to cause you and keep you from reaching the promise, from reaching heaven. Would you bow your head? Let's pray very quickly. Lord, we thank you today, Jesus for your word and for your spirit that's in this place today. I pray 
for your help right now, God. Lord, I'm not looking for you to make me a better preacher here today. I'm looking for your word to be effective right now into every heart. God, help me to deliver it in a way where it would find its way into every heart of every person that needs to hear this today. God, use this word right now to reach someone, God, that is on the edge of the promise, and they feel like quitting, they feel like giving up, they feel like walking away. Help us today in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated today. This has always been a scripture, a story in the Bible that that has bothered me. I've There's some things that I don't understand when I read it. My wife and I oftentimes sit in our living room and we'll we'll be reading, having our morning devotions, and and, uh, there are times when I'll say, listen to this, and I'll begin to read a scripture. I said, now, do you understand? I don't get, why did that happen? You know, there's some things I just don't get about why God did some of the things that he did. There's some some things that I do understand, and, and that's important, but I don't guess I have to know the reasons why God did everything that he did. But oftentimes in our humanity, we, we want to try to understand. So I've looked at this scripture, you know, uh, with question and, and, and oftentimes wondered and felt sorry for Moses because we find him here in the final moments of his life. We find him, and nobody wants, I think you were hitting all over today, you know, purpose. We want to have a purpose. When we get to the end of our life, we don't want to just lay there and, and think, I, I've affected nothing positively. I've, I've made no amount of difference. I haven't done anything with my life. No, I think that it is an inherent trait in almost every single one of us to have felt like we have done something worthwhile. Moses has had a very full life. He's followed God. He's listened to God. He's, he's obeyed God, and sometimes reluctantly, you know, He's taken on a task that he really didn't ask for. But God had prepared him. God had groomed him. God needed him. And so we find him at the final moments of his life looking out over the fulfillment of a promise that started way back with Abraham, his forefathers, Isaac, Jacob. It was a promise that many thought would never come to pass probably especially after 400 years of being in Egyptian bondage. Here they had sat, and I'm sure it was a, it, it was a, it was a pipe dream to many of those that, that could never see beyond Egyptian slavery. And, and yet here Moses had walked in, and he had, with uh, great trouble and great problems uh, afflicted upon the Egyptians, finally got them to allow his people to walk away and then watch as God destroyed his enemy behind them. It's a beautiful, beautiful story of the exodus of God's people out of slavery, just like God wants to do for those of us that are here today. God never intended for you to live the rest of your life in slavery and bondage to sin, but God has made a way for you to escape. It's not a road that is paved with with golden bricks. It's not always a road that is flat and easy to navigate. Sometimes a road, It's a little bit bumpy on your way out, but it's a road worth taking. It's a better road that God has called you to than to remain where you're at. So now, because of complaining and moaning and groaning about everything after being set free 
They've spent 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. 40 years. It's a long time. I'm almost that old myself. Long time. When I think about, you know, my wife and I, we're coming up, I think, on 36 years. I ask you this every time. It's 36 years. Okay. I, I know we're in the 30s someplace. That's the problem that I have with being married to a woman that looks 25. I think 36 years of marriage, I can't be. Somebody say brownie points. Pastor, get brownie points in. Thirty-six years we've stayed married, and married, and and uh, I hope for another thirty-six years uh, of marriage with this wonderful person that the Lord has allowed me to to share life with. And, and the reason that that I say that is because we have a lot of good time together. We were laughing on the way to church. She said something funny this morning. I I said uh, I said, oh look, the windows. I said uh, there's sap on the windows, tree sap on the windows. I said I wonder where that comes. She looked at me. She said probably a tree. I said, you are brilliant. Brilliant. The reason that 36 years seemed to be like a blip in my mind is because we've had a great relationship all these years. But Moses couldn't say the same thing about being with those group, that group of people that he was taking out of the, uh, the, the, the slavery. He couldn't really say that kind of thing because it seemed like every time he turned around, no matter what kind of miracle God provided or provision God provided, it wasn't long before they were moaning and groaning and complaining all over again. I cannot imagine being attached to the the hip by marriage to a woman that did nothing but complain about no matter what I did. It, it would be terrible. Right now, there's about four or five husbands that are elbowing their wife saying, listen to this part right here. And the wife's saying, I think you need to listen to him. Moses, one of the greatest leaders the world has ever known, and yet he finds himself in a place where he is just falling shy, just falling short of the promised land because of some decisions that he had made out of frustration and anger. You know, I, I'll be the first to admit, I can act pretty stupid when I'm frustrated and angry. I can make some decisions that just don't seem to make a whole lot of sense. I can do some things that seem rash when I'm frustrated and angry. You know when you kick the dog? When you're frustrated and angry. You know when you holler at the kids? When you're frustrated and angry. You know when you say the thing that you would never say to the boss, but you said it on that day, and now you're looking at walking out the door, being walked out the door? You say those things, why? When? When you're frustrated and angry. We tend to do things that don't really do ourselves a whole lot of favors when we're frustrated and when we're angry. Twice while they're out in the wilderness, the Lord's provided food. He's provided clothing. He's provided all kinds of things. He's, uh, there's, there's been times where, yes, things have, have gone south, and he's had to He's had to do some things, you know, in their midst and punish the people. But by and large, he has miraculously given them everything that they needed to survive. 
So twice the people had needed water while they're in the wilderness, and twice God provides them water. Why? Because God is never going to just walk away and allow his people to, to, uh, to, to die even when they make mistakes. Your mistake does not define you right now. Your decision to stay remaining living in the mistake does. You don't have to continue living the way that you're living if that lifestyle has not made you happy or if that lifestyle has not led you to God. There is a God that loves you enough to even provide for you in the midst of your mistakes. The first time Moses goes, the people are complaining. He brought us out here to die. We're thirsty. Our cattle are going to die. Our flocks are going to die. There's no water here. Moses goes to God, and God says, speak to the rock, or strike the rock, he says. Moses takes his staff, and he goes over, and he strikes the rock, and the Bible says that water comes gushing out of the rock, and all the people were able to drink. Now, we're not talking about a band of 100 or 200 people. We're talking about millions of people here and their livestock. Be like saying, okay, all of St. Louis City and all of St. Louis counties and everything surrounding the St. Louis metro region, all of those people, there was enough water to make sure that everybody was okay on their water supply. This wasn't some small thing. It was a major miracle. He says, strike the rock, and Moses strikes it, and water flows out, and the people's thirst is quenched. Lives are saved. They find themselves a second time in a similar situation in Numbers chapter 20. The Bible says, now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron, and the people contended with Moses. That word contended means they were arguing, they were complaining with him, causing him grief. And this is what they said, if only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought us up to this place? into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here. And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? Can you imagine somebody being so miserable as you've provided for them? They say, you know what? I would rather be dead than, than take what you've given to me. I've taken my wife on some nice nice vacations. We've gone, we've gone to some places, but I've never drug her off kicking and screaming on a vacation. Because I don't want her to look at me and say, I don't even want her to say, that was disappointing. That didn't live up to, I, I, I want her to come off vacation and, and say, wow, we had a blast. That was a lot of fun, you know. And our vacations have been everything from small little vacations to some larger places where we've gone and seen some things that we might not ever get to see again. And, 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 and we come back from those places and she'll look at me and say, that was a great time. I don't ever want to hear her say, oh, that was a point. That was a, a disappointing vacation. That was a vacation that, that just left me in less than awe. But can you imagine? She said, I would rather die than you take me back to that place ever again. That's a drastic thing to say. And yet, that's what Moses was putting up with. You brought us out here to kill us. I'd, we'd have been better off dead. It's not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there water to drink. In other words, they're reminding him, I thought you promised us milk and honey. I thought you promised us some great things. And, and even though Moses had tried to get them to go on in, they were the ones that said, 
No, I think we better wait. There's giants in the land. So Moses and Aaron, they went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces. The glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then Moses, uh, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the rod. Okay, I remember this part from the last time. Take the rod. Had the rod with me last time. Last time you told me to strike the the rock and water came gushing out. Okay, God's going to save us again. He said, whoa, wait just a second. Take the rod. You and your brother gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. Pretty simple instruction. I think everything would have been fine. But Moses was what? Frustrated and angry. Just as you or I might be. I know I don't like to put up with a whole lot of complaining. I My favorite thing is that grenade with a pin on it that says, uh, complaint, complaint department, take a number. You know what I'm talking about? Where you pull the pin on the grenade? It's kind of a little... Um, message to somebody that might want to come in and complain about something. Take the rod. Speak to the rock. So Moses takes the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together just like, just like they were told to do. Listen, this is what Moses tells the people. Hear now, you rebels. That's not a good way to get get things kind of kicked off and started when you're trying to motivate people. Modern day language, it'd be like Moses saying, listen to me, you bunch of yahoos. You dunderheads. You malcontents. You morons. Listen to what I'm about ready to tell you. He is frustrated and angry. Not at God. God's about to provide. He's trusting God. He's listening to God. He's not frustrated with God. He's frustrated with his brothers and his sisters. The Bible says he lifted his hand and he struck the rock twice with his rod. Water comes out abundantly and the congregation and their animals drink. But there's a price to be paid for not following the instruction of the Lord. The Lord then speaks to Moses and Aaron and says, because you did not believe me to allow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. There's a great lesson for us to learn here. You say, were the people out of line? Absolutely. Did Moses have a right to feel frustrated and angry? Absolutely. Did the people murmur and complain even when God himself was providing for them everything that they needed? Yes. But hear me today. 
God will not allow excuses on our part to disobey him just because we're frustrated or frustrated in our circumstances or things that are going on in the background in our life. It does not give us an excuse to disobey the commands of God just because a brother or a sister is a thorn in our flesh, just because a co-worker is creating havoc in the workplace, just because a child is turning south and going down a wrong road you do not take that frustration out on your relationship with God. To be frustrated with people is natural, but we should never find ourselves in a place with our frustrated with the world's standards causes us to disobey God's commandments. Life can be frustrating and complicated at times. I, I get that. Attack you without cause or justification just because they're mean. They're just mean. Not everybody's nice. Just some mean people out there. Not happy with themselves. They don't like themselves. Some of them even despise who they are. And so oftentimes a person that doesn't like themselves, they they there's inner turmoil going on in them that needs to be straightened out. And so that lashes out of those that are around them. It comes out ugly and evil. Don't ever let those things cause you to take out your frustration on God. Because nothing is worse than being kept out of the place of promise. Hear me this morning. I don't care how angry somebody makes you. I don't care how ugly life turns. I don't care how unfairly you've been treated. There is nothing worse, especially when you've heard the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and you know about a place called heaven and you know the the the, the answer of, of the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the Acts 2.38 message. There is nothing going to be more miserable than standing on the edge of heaven but not being allowed to get in, to know that you knew everything and that you could have done everything that could have caused you to be able to walk in, and yet for some reason we self-justified and we stand back and we'll say, well, they made me mad, or I was treated unfairly, or the preacher didn't do me right, or the church didn't do me right, or my neighbor didn't do me right, or so I got made fun of the school or whatever, nothing is going to feel good enough there. It will be no excuse good enough on that day when you're standing there wishing that you could go into the promise, but the Lord says, depart from me. I don't know you. I don't want to be buried on the border. I don't want to get all the way there. We're too close, my friends. Hear me. We are too close, and I'm not trying to scare anybody today. I'm just trying to help us understand we are on the border of God giving us the promise of heaven. There is coming a day very shortly where he's going to tell Gabriel, put uh, put your lips to the trumpet and blow it. I want to call my people home. You do not want to be left behind, buried on the border of the promise that could have been yours. We can't forget our purpose. Mark makes it real simple. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
all your soul, all your mind, and with all your strength. I love him with everything that's within me. I want to make him my top priority. He said, all, 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 all all these times, and Mark says, with all your heart, with all your mind, no room for compromise, no room for turning back, no room for second-guessing God. For the man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back doesn't belong in the field, the Bible says. We like options, though. Like you can go out in this parking lot here and all up and down the street today, and you can see cars and trucks. Some some people are truck guys. Some people are no. I got a family. I need an SUV or I need a, a minivan, and and there's all kinds of options. You can go and buy just about whatever you want. If you if you can write the check for it, if you can make the monthly payments, you can get just about whatever you want. And not only that, but then we want different colors. Oh, I, I we've got a neighbor that. Nothing but red cards. They're big Cardinals fans, and all their vehicles are red, and they've got red on their their houses. They love red, and so all of their cards are red. I'm not. That doesn't mean anything to me. I I just like something that catches my eye, and and so you can go out here and find every different option. We got white cars and black cars, and 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 silver cars and red cars, and everything in between out here. And then then you go into the trim. Okay, I've got a silver car with with uh with black trim on the bottom of it. You know, they've kind of blacked it all out and window tinting or no window tinting. What do we want? We want options. I want to be able to choose what I want, when I want. Went all the way to Arkansas a little over a year ago for my truck because I wanted a specific color. I wasn't, you know, white just wouldn't do. I wanted tricoat white. Those of us with exceptional taste choose tricoat white. They're not, they're not everywhere. You, you don't find them all over the place. So I finally found one. I called the place up. Where are you? Marion, Arkansas. That's right. That's basically West Memphis. We took a four-hour trip, spent the night, got up the next morning, bought the truck, and drove it back home because I wanted options. I wanted Trico White. I could find white. I almost bought a black one just because I got tired of looking for the Trico White. It was a beautiful truck, but it wasn't really what I wanted. Henry Ford He made a statement. Of course, he was the founder of the assembly line with cars, trying to make putting a car together efficient, convenient. You know, just he he had this great idea to produce them much quicker. But he had people complaining, just like Moses did. Well, what color can I get my brand new Model T in? said, you can choose any color you want as long as it's black. Options. That's fine if you're looking for a car or a home or just about anything else. But God isn't looking to be one of your options. I'll fit him in if I can. If I don't get a better deal, 
if nothing else is going on, if, if, I, if I feel like it, I will. God is not interested in being one of many options. No, that's not what God is looking for. Amen. He is looking to be our only choice. He said, I will be first or I won't be anything. I will be first or you can just count me out altogether. I must be first and foremost. There's a story of a man named Fernand Cortez. He was a Spanish conquistador who was born in the late 1400s. By age 19, he was sailing for Hispaniola, and uh, he had some help. He conquered Cuba, settled there until 1518. When he was appointed to lead an expedition to Mexico. Now, gathers his crew together. They set off. They land on the coast of Mexico with a force of seven hundred men. He's got some. He's got some people with him that know how to take care of business. But he knows. He's quite clear, understanding that this could be the most dangerous mission that they had ever undertaken. So, not knowing exactly what they're going to find, it was an very uncertain place, very nerve-wracking place. You know, a lot of times we're more nervous about what we don't know. Why do we get nervous? We get nervous of the unknown, not what we know so much. Usually when we find out what it is, we realize that we don't have, didn't have to be that nervous in the first place. But here he is, it's the unknown, it's nerve-wracking. Would they find uh, there to be a fierce people uh, that would be ready to fight to the death? Would they find animals ready to tear them limb for limb? Would would they get out there and, and, and starve to death and, and the whole mission be a flop and his life end right there? So Cortez knew that once he set out to conquer this new land that there was going to be many obstacles that they were going to have to face. Not knowing what those obstacles would be, he understood that it was going to be a battle. There was going to have to be some things that they were going to have to fight. And, and knowing how he felt on the inside as their leader, he understood that his men, probably one of his greatest problems was going to be that some of his men were going to say, you know what, this is too much. Let's turn back and let's, let's get out of here. Let's go back home. Let's go back the other way, just like the Israelites were doing. Take me back to Egypt. We were better off in Egypt. You know how that goes once one breaks file. won't be long until soon others are following. He wasn't afraid of enemies. He wasn't afraid of wild beasts or starvation. The greatest challenge, he wrote, was that there would be a desire to turn back by his men. And so they pull up and anchor their boats, and all the men, they get out hop on the small boats and get out on the shoreline. And that's when he gave the order for a couple men that he left behind. He said, set the ships on fire. And all of a sudden, the men were up doing their work and whatever it was they were doing. They saw smoke coming from out in the bay. 
they come back down. They saw that their ships that they had arrived on were no longer in the harbor. Cortez secured his place in history as the man who conquered Mexico. And he did it simply because he removed all opportunity to turn back. When you make up in your mind that there's only one direction that you're going to go, life gets a whole lot simpler. When you make up in your mind that nothing shall separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, and no matter what I am going to face in life, no matter how many times I'm betrayed or disappointed or left hung out to dry, no matter how many times my feelings get hurt, no matter how many times bad things happen to me and I think they shouldn't because I'm a good person, I'm trying to serve God. When you get in your mind that nothing is going to keep you from making it to the promised land, then my friend, your battle is 90% won already. When you decide there's only one direction that I can go and I'm not turning around and I'm not looking behind me, I'm not going backwards, I'm not taking a step back, I am moving forward. Forward and forward only. I wonder, I have to wonder if possibly Cortez could have read the account of Moses. Remember the trouble that had been caused by the Hebrews when they cried. Why don't you bring us out here, Moses? And Cortez is thinking, this could happen to me. I can see this happening. Men are already tired. We're going into the unknown. Moses losing his cool from all the hard-headed Hebrews who would rather live in slavery than have a land of plenty. So short-sighted. So living for the moment and in the day. That's a huge mistake. It's a huge mistake. For years now, my wife and I, we have poured a lot of our income into our future knowing that there was coming a day when I wasn't going to be able to do that anymore. And when we could have bought maybe a brand new car or brand new what or upgraded our little ranch brick home or done a whole lot more work around different areas and made things nicer, we've chosen to wait and just keep on putting those things away. Why? Because we saw beyond just today Today I'm healthy. Today I could work. You know, I, I've spent the last 30-some years, you know, uh, trying to uh, pull down two jobs and, and one very physical and one that's kind of uh, giving me some physical pains and problems, but we've just kept on pushing forward. Why? Because we were looking past today, and friend, if you'll look past today, you'll see that there is a better life that Jesus Christ can give you. It's not a life that is not full of some troubles and not full of some heartaches. It's go you're going to have those things no matter what, but there is a better way. If you will start today to plan for your future, you will have a future that has been planned for. Or music come today. Maybe Cortez decided, I'm not going to move forward with a bunch of men that 
I'm depending and counting upon. And I wake up one morning and half of them are gone. I'm going to take all the guesswork out of what we're going to do here and why we're here. I'm going to remove the ability in these men's lives to turn around. I'm going to take that out of the equation. You know, people that are committed are the most powerful people in the world when they're committed together. If you walk into a relationship or a contract with somebody that is uncommitted, they will try to create havoc to get out of the contract, get out of the commitment. But two people that are committed to make it work no matter what, that's a force to be reckoned with. Burn the ships. You're going to burn the ships? You know how much those things cost? You know, we try to reason things out in our minds of why we should just keep something in our back pocket just in case God doesn't work out. Just in case God doesn't come through. Just in case God doesn't answer it the way I want. We, we like to have options. We like to keep something just, just in case. Or even worse, if God doesn't do it the way we think he should. Cortez conquered 700 men because he decided I'd rather die a conqueror than be buried on the border of a promise. So you prayed. You asked God to do something for you and change the situation you woke up the next morning full of faith. This is the day God put things got worse, not instead of better. You've treated that person right, and you've loved them, and you've nurtured them, and you've been there for them, and they betrayed you. It happens not right, but it happens. We get cheated on, lied to, betrayals of really a part of everyday life would seem in most of the world's eyes. Maybe you live for God, but by living for God, it turns some of your friends into enemies. Listen to me today. The Bible tells us that the darkest night is just before the dawn. Would you stand with me today? Don't doubt what God is doing in your life. If you walk through the doors of this service today, there's a call upon you. God has given you an opportunity to begin. Is tomorrow going to be all sunshine and roses? I can't tell you that it is. 
God won't tell you that it is. You may wake up tomorrow and have a big toothache, a major splitting headache. You may get a phone call that upsets you. But I'm telling you, God in your life will not make that worse. It will only make it better. Putting him at the forefront of your life will be the greatest decision you could ever make. And you're going to stumble and fall at times. doesn't fix everything overnight. As much as I would like to just throw out a God pill today and say, take this, take two of these and call me in the morning, everything's going to be okay. That's just not the way it works. Moses was 40 years of frustration and having to listen to problems and deal with situations that were not of his own making. But he was right there. He was right there. He let a frustration cause him to be disobedient to a direct order from God. God didn't make it complicated. It was simple enough. But because he disobeyed, he was buried on the border. And I don't want to see a single person here left behind. I want to see you buried on the border. I've given you hope today. The Acts 2.38 message still works. The Holy Ghost is real. You don't even have to believe in it today. Just be, just begin to trust that, that what I'm telling you is true and let God begin to direct you and lead you. God is in this place, not just for those that have gathered here that already know him. He's here to introduce himself to people that have never met him yet. Preached too long this morning. Would you bow your heads? I want them to begin to sing this song, and I'm just going to simply open this altar up today. And I'm going to invite those that would. I don't care what your status is. Maybe you've been in this church for 50 years. Maybe you've been filled with the Holy Ghost for 75 years. Or maybe it's your first time ever feeling something or hearing a message of hope like this one today. I'm telling you, there is a God that loves you, cares for you, and has not abandoned you. And his arms are outstretched to you today. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.